Thanks, you can be seated. If you came in during the message or during the singing, my name's Britt, and I just want to say, man, it doesn't matter if you have been coming to Sunridge for a long time or you're brand new. We're just, we want you to know that you're welcome here. And, uh, you know, everybody's welcome here because nobody's perfect. So I don't know what you came in carrying today, but there is nobody sitting in this room that's perfect. So you're welcome. Because we know that anything's possible with God. And I'm hoping and praying, I'm trusting that today what we do will help you take the next step in your relationship with God. I want to tell you that our service is going to end a little differently today. Typically we end with a song, but we're going to end with a little talk, an assessment, a diagnostic. So, you know, having church kind of like the basic way is really good. It's comfortable. It's our common liturgy today. But um, every once in a while it's good to mix it up. But I wanted to forewarn you so I didn't throw you off and get all disoriented. Like, they changed church. I don't know what to do. So now you're forewarned. But it's going to end really cool. It's going to be great. Also, you know, this is Get It Done Sunday. How many of you remembered that? Okay, thank you, all 25 of you. We've been talking about this. You know, we are in the process of renovating this building. We have been after it since I took this position four and a half years ago. And uh, as you can see, the hallway is well underway. How about it? Does it look awesome or what? I'm so proud of what's happening there. And that's happening because of your generosity over the past couple of years. Some of you have given very sacrificially so that that could happen, and we don't incur any other debt. That's been our goal. But I've also been telling you that uh, we have a unique opportunity in that our carpet contractor is selling that carpet, which they did out there in the hallway already, at their cost. And our desire is to go beyond what we, uh, what we started here to do this room, the worship center, and all of upstairs, and that total bill will be $130,000. And so we've been asking you to pray about that, about what you would do, and so uh, today's the day to decide. <clears throat> so let's get it done. Pull the trigger. Whatever you've been talking about with your spouse or you've been praying about or talking in your circle, it's like this is the day to get it done. And so we ask that you would uh, give, not just your regular offering, but also that you would give to our capital improvement fund. And, you know, in the end, we're going to just trust God. Whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'm just a human being. I'm a pastor, but I'm, I'm just like a normal guy, and I have ideas, and some of my ideas are dumb. Just ask my family. But this is an idea, and I think it's a great opportunity for Sunday. So, uh, end of speech. Uh, when, uh, about 30 years ago, when I first started in the fire department, I don't know if I mentioned to you guys that I used to be a firefighter before, but uh, the captain that I worked for at the time, uh, Captain Craig Simonton, a pretty smart guy, and one day we were standing around in the apparatus room, which is where all the equipment is, like a giant garage, and he got the tape measure out, and he says, hey, rookie, come here, I want to talk to you. And he said, so how old are you today? And I told him at the time I was 31, and so he held his finger there, and he said, and then tell me, um, how long, is your dad still living? Yeah, he was at the time. How long did your grandpa live? And he was like, I think, 92. Um, they told him he had high cholesterol when he was in his late 80s and needed to cut back on bacon. And, uh, and they were right. It finally took him. You know, if he'd only listened. And uh, 
So, uh, and then he said, so when do you think your career's going to end? What's your plan? And I wanted to go at that time 30 years, so that would put me at 61. I left a little early for you guys, by the way. Make it worth it. So, thanks. Um, so what he did is he kind of like gave me these mile markers in my life. And he said, you know, everything that you're doing between where you are here and when you retire, this is your life. In this time period, what you're doing is preparing for this time period. So what you do here is going to matter so much the rest of your life, whatever it may be. And you know, I took that lesson to heart. I forget a lot of stuff, but that's one of the things I remembered. You know, it was, it was about my career in the fire department, but I think it's generally true that there are just things that in our life right now, where you are, wherever you are on that scale, they really matter. They really matter. And you know, for a Christian, it doesn't end at death, right? We go into eternity, and the things that we do in our segment, whether you, got, you think you have this much left or like you're on a younger scale and you can just, you can't even, you're immortal, you're going to live forever. Whatever your space is, like, it's a really important time. What you do matters. We started a series a few weeks ago we called So Worth It. And we're wrapping it up today, and So Worth It is just about the things that are a challenge to us. Maybe take risk, maybe make us a little uncomfortable even, but in the end are so worth it. And Jesus, I think, was referring to that when he said in Mark 10, Mark my words, no one who sacrifices because of me and the gospel will lose out. They'll get it all back, but multiplied many times. So worth it. We've talked about how it's so worth it to be intentional with our money. We've talked about how it's so worth it to be intentional about sharing the gospel when God gives us an opportunity. And today, I want this is a wrap-up. It is so worth considering God's unique calling for you. It's so worth considering God's unique calling for you. When I use the word calling, I'm talking about the thing that God has for you in this space. There are many roles that you hold. There are many opportunities that you have in this space that you're in right now. Some of them are general for all of us, but we all have kind of specific callings. God has a plan for our life, and it, it's you know, a compilation of all the things that God has taught us through our experiences and the people around us. We have a calling. And today, I'd like to just spend a few moments inviting you to think seriously and intentionally about what you want to do with the rest of your one and only life. In Matthew's gospel, in chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is teaching, and he's telling stories, and they all have a common theme. He talks about the day of the Lord coming, that is his return. And that time period, he says, which we don't know when it is, people will just be eating and drinking, he said. They'll just be living normal life. But it is not, we're not to miss how important that space is. We're kind of all eating and drinking and living normal life right now, and we don't know when the Lord will return. He, he told a story about a wedding party in which some of the party were anxiously preparing for the coming of the groomsmen, and some were unprepared. And then he, did, he, he told a story about the sheep and the goats, and he talked about how in this space where we live today, the people that we meet, the, those without clothes, those without water, those without housing and food, we have an opportunity to touch them, and they could be actually the king 
Each of these stories or teaching reflects on what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God, and each story emphasizes one point, one main point. What we do today matters. How we live our lives today is so worth it. In the middle of these stories and teachings, Jesus tells this story. You know it as the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 14. I'm going to take several moments just to read through the text, and then I want to make some observations. Again, it will be like a man, that is, it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents at once went and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Ouch. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, looking at this story from a 10,000-foot perspective, you have a landowner who is getting ready to go on a journey, and he distributes some of his assets to his employees with a view toward that they would invest those assets. And then when he arrives home, after his journey, he asks for a report. And in Jesus' story, as Matthew records, we get to sit in on their performance review. And out of this story, I'd like to make three observations that lead us toward a greater consideration of what is worth it in our lives and each observation has a question, I think, that we should ask ourselves. So the first observation is this. There's a distribution of assets, but no change in ownership in the story. The assets are distributed, but the ownership does not change. You see, the landowner gathers his servants together and disperses those resources, but the ownership of those assets remains with the landowner. In verse 14, Jesus says... He entrusted his property to them. In verse 27, 
They referred to those assets as my money. And you know, the message is clear. These managers are not the new owners. They're only responsible for utilizing them. You know, when I was in college, my freshman year, I had a roommate that every time I went shopping and brought food or things to drink home, he would look in the bag and say, oh, we got peanut butter now. Or, oh, we have orange juice. And I'd look at him and say, Grams, who's we? That's my stuff. It's not yours. I know. What a, what a roommate I was. Ownership's important. So, like, if you were to make a list of the things that belong to you and the things that belong to God, what would your list look like? That makes us ask what I think is the first question that this story brings up. It's like, who is God to me? Who is God to me? And to me is the key point here. I know that God is God. But, you know, even Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? That is the key question. You know, like, there's actually a question before that we should ask. Who am I to God? I know that some of you in church today, you came out of desperation. And you're wondering, what's, the, what's this Christian program all about? Like, you, you even feel a little out of place. Even me talking about this making you sweat. Don't squirm because people will know I'm talking about you, okay? But what I'd want you to know from the get-go here is that who you are to God was answered in what Jesus Christ did. Because in Jesus giving his life, he demonstrated that there is nothing that he's willing to, to allow to stand between you and him. And he did that while we were still sinners. You were so worth it to God. But the second question, which is who is, it should be, who is God to me? And this is a distinctive of those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. We, we don't just live our lives based on what the culture says or what's popular or what's comfortable or convenient for me today. The ultimate question is, is God really God in my life? And when we answer that question, we answer the why of everything we're doing. Who is God answers the why in our lives. And the why gives meaning to everything that we do. Why is vital in your marriage? Why is vital in the team that you're a part of? And why you chose your career? Why is the question to ask when you pick uh, what route you're going to go in education? Why is the question in relationships? Why is the question in your church? A number of years ago, uh, I was pinning it in my life, trying to move ahead in my career and try to be a family man and try to serve at my church. And Cindy said to me, you know, it feels to me like everyone else gets the fun Brit and your family gets the old, tired-out Brit. So I kicked her out of the house for a few days, and you know, you know that didn't happen. She was right. And that kind of like set me back on my heels. Like that she, what she did is she brought the why question to my mind. I think that's why Jesus said this in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you're a Christian... 
That might be one of the most important verses you memorize and, and contemplate constantly. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, if you, if you will put me first, your life will fall into place. That's what it says. And the reason why every Christian, every person really needs to ask this question is because there is always going to be so much competition for you. And the only way you're going to see through the fog is to remember who you serve and who is, who is God to you. And until you answer that question, you will never be able to get your priorities straight. You will never be able to live a so worth it life. You live a life that is being imposed on you by your culture and the season of life that you're in. Second observation that I'd make from this story is that the assets are, just, are not distributed evenly, but everyone receives something. There's not an even distribution of these assets, but everybody gets something. In verse 15, to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And it's, it's easy to read this story in a way that you read it through the lens of comparison. And we can think, well, of course, I'm the five-talent guy. I'm really important. And then others of us read it that we're like, like I only have one talent, and I could, it's like, it's not even worth it. Comparison is a swamp. It's a swamp for both the cocky and the insecure. Because comparison will lead you to either overestimate your value or underestimate who God has made you to be. And that will just entirely depend on your comparison model. And have you noticed about yourself that when you're trying to elevate yourself, you try to find people that are a little bit less talented, a little bit less moral? Like you could, like we, our brains figure it out. And so we're always comparing ourselves in a way that's most advantageous to us. Comparison is not just playing God. It's judging God. Because when we compare, whether I'm the five-talent or the one-talent person, or a middle swimmer with two, like we're really saying, God, you, you don't know what you're doing. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul said this to uh, this church in Corinth that he wrote this letter back to after founding it. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Paul says that we have to remember that it isn't a... Even if you're feeling insecure, like you're not the wise, you're not the rich, you're not the smart. It's like the point here is not what you have so much. It's like who has God made you to be? That's the question that comes from this, the, the uneven distribution. Who has God made me to be? And this emphasis is not on comparison. It's on God's choice. You notice in the story the way Jesus tells it, the, the assets are distributed based on their ability. And we tend to think, okay, there's some people that are super talented, which there are. Let's just acknowledge that. But that's not what this story is getting at in my mind. I mean, there's so many facets that contribute to someone's ability here. First of all, this is not coins. 
uh, if you think of a talent as, you know, some type of coin with a, you know, Caesar's picture on it or something, you're thinking wrong. Like, a talent is a weight. It's, it's a measure of weight that expresses value. And so, you know, often assets that were distributed were like of different kinds. They weren't just, it wasn't just money. And so, according to their ability, could have even, could have easily been their experience. It could have easily been uh, tied to their unique expertise, whether they're a farmer or a miner or, uh, you know, they own a vineyard or they make wine. It's based on their particular expertise. And we don't know how that landowner's assets were distributed. We don't know what, that's not part of, that's not the important part of the story. It could be entirely based on their season, the context of life. It's like, are they just getting started? And so, like, the landowner wants to give them what they are ready for. Either way, whatever, whatever was in the landowner's mind, you know, it is the landowner's choice to give that asset to them. And so it begs the question, who has God made me to be? Because being intentional about God's unique calling begins with an assessment of what God has given us, not need. That's important to think about. I mean, need's always a part of it. We need children's workers. They need someone to run PTA in that school. We need somebody to do this in the uh, Little League sports program. That if you begin with need, if that's the thing that's the sole driver of your decisions of where you're going to invest yourself in the work of God... Um, it may not pair with who God has made you, and maybe some of you have experienced that. It really should begin with how God has made you. Because in doing so, you will maximize how God can use you in that situation. And the truth is, most of us are being underutilized. If you're pursuing a job, right now maybe some of you are, you've written a resume, right? And you're going to go into an interview, and you're preparing for that interview, either for a new job or a new position. You know, when we, could, when we do that, what, what do we do? We put together, whether it's a resume or our presentation, an honest but optimistic perspective of us, right? Like, here's my education, here's my experience, here's some of the things I've done, here's some of my... Uh, you know, uh, congratulatory uh, letters, here's some references, and they're all saying, I'm, I'm uniquely designed for this position. What if when we thought about God's work, we approach it in the same way? Because pursuit of that position, we always start by saying, okay, am I wired for that next job? The truth, though, for many of us is, we're not even applying for the calling that God has us, has for us. Pursue God's work. Pursue the unique calling that God may have for you in the same way you would you're seeking for that next new thing in your career. Put as much energy into considering how that aligns with who you are. The last observation I like to make from this story is it's not about what you have so much as what you do with it. 
It's not about what you have so much as what you do with it. When the boss, as Matthew records, settled accounts, the boss was essentially saying, tell me what you've done with what I gave you. That process begins for us with asking the question, who is God to me? Which is followed up by, who has he made me to be? And the last question that comes from like what we do with what God has given us is, is it's really simple. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because good intentions and great plans and talking and dialoguing and seeking advice and even prayers don't matter if eventually we don't get off the dime and do something. That's the truth. I've told this riddle joke before in church, but it's so good I'm going to retell it, okay? So just bear with me. Like five frogs sat on a log. Three decided to jump off. How many frogs are left? Five. Because deciding to jump off the log is not the same as jumping off the log. Right? Good intentions don't always add up. Because the best things in life, the things that are most important to us, they don't happen by accident. Whether we're talking about exercise programs, whether we're talking about gaining weight or losing weight, whether we're talking about an education that we need to... Uh, pursue, whether we're talking about gaining victory over weeds or gophers in my life, whether I'm talking about getting my tires rotated or my teeth cleaned or my marriage or parenting, these are all things that happen because we do something about it. Choosing is not the same as cruising. I made that up, so I want to repeat it. <laughs> choosing is not the same as cruising. And the people that I see that are pressing themselves into utilizing what God has given them, they're doing it intentionally. They're people who say, I'm, I'm assessing who God has made me, and I'm willing to, to fully utilize that because it's so worth it. Once you get this concept, you can never unsee it in the Scriptures. Let me read some verses. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And 1 Peter 4.10, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You see, when we become Christians, that's a glorious moment. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. What are you going to do? And what you do will matter if it begins with the understanding of who God is, how God has wired you, and then what you do will matter. I want to just note that this story that Jesus tells, it ends with the sin of not trying. You get that, right? I mean, the, the one-talent employee, he, he comes in like uh, shift-blaming, or blame-shifting, right? 
It's like, hey, I just want to start this report off saying that I know what kind of boss you are. That's not a great way to start, by the way, for your review. And then there's rationalization. He brings right in. It's like, hey, I, you know, like that asset that you gave me, I know what you're going to ask me about it, but I just want to tell you that I buried it because I, I wanted to protect it. And you know the boss saw through that completely. Here's the thing. When it comes to the unique calling that God has given us, not trying is, that there's no excuse for that, Christian. And the truth is that some matters matter more than other matters matter. I made that one up too, so I want to repeat that for you. Some matters matter more than other matters matter. There are some things, based on our priorities, of what God is doing in our lives, his place in our lives, how he's uniquely wired us, that matter more than others. And it's going to be up to us to do something about it. In the beginning of this series, we talked about how it's intentional. Our lives, we live lives that are worthy when we're intentional about how we handle our money. We talked about how important it is to be intentional in how we share the gospel with people when God gives us an opportunity. And it's also so worth it to find your unique calling that God has given you and press yourself wholly into it because you're on a timeline, people. What do you want to do with the rest of your one and only life? Do you want to get to the end of your life and say it was so worth it? Let's pray.